Welcome to Uncharted Careers. I'm Courtney Hartman, and I talk with guests each week about their career paths to give listeners an insider look into different industries, how folks have made decisions in their careers, and we'll explore what each guest has learned along the way. I'm on a mission to share knowledge that is only learned in the field outside of a classroom. Join me to find inspiration for your own career. In this episode of Uncharted Careers, I talk with Alex Oosterveen, founder of a caregiver incentives and rewards program called Caribou. He and I met at a home care technology conference, and shortly after, we found a way for his company and HHA Exchange to partner. We now work together to support this partnership where my client success team at HHA Exchange works to find opportunity within our client base to send to Caribou. And we have an API integration that mutual clients are entitled to that helps support their use of both platforms. Alex and the whole Caribou team have been such great partners to work with, and I've always admired their collaborative culture and how much their team members care about each other, their clients, and the industry. If you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoy the discussion, please leave me a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Those mean a lot to me and help me to reach even more folks. I hope you feel inspired after listening to this episode of Uncharted Careers. My positive focus, I would just say I have a lot of gratitude for people, (laughs) public transit infrastructure, flexibility, (laughs) my wife. Um, Yesterday, I was on my way to the airport. I get to security. And as I hand over my passport, Mm -hmm. I realize it's my wife's. Oh, my gosh. And I'm already at the airport and I'm going from Canada to the U.S. So, like, you can't just get by on a driver's license. Yeah. And I look beside me and there's this professional rapper named Young Gravy. (laughs) I don't know if you've heard of him. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What? And it's like he's such a has such a distinct look. He's like six foot seven like long ginger hair yeah and he was just such a nice guy he's like oh man that sucks like oh like i hope uh, i hope it goes all right and i was like you're young gravy and he's like yeah man do you want a picture i'm like yeah you know and so we did it and then called my wife hustled back to the city exchanged passports hustled back and it all somehow worked out like in the nick of time so it was like what otherwise would have been a stressful situation kind of worked out and it became quite fun and memorable. So, yeah. you know, lesson learned. It's not necessarily bad news. It's just like just an opportunity to uh, learn, grow and maybe have some fun through a chance encounter. Yeah. And you got that good juju from Young Gravy. That's right. And we're riding it into this whole New York trip. <laughs> I love it. That is awesome. Well, I'm glad you got to New York. Okay. So let's start off by talking more about what you currently do today and your company, Caribou. Absolutely. So Caribou is a basically a staff rewards platform built for the home care industry. Mm-hmm. And we're really trying to tackle the big talent shortage in home care. Right now, there's just not enough people to keep up with the growing demand for services. And so we're trying to really improve the underlying job experience, be able to pay caregivers more, make them feel more appreciated and recognized by their employer. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we can really treat that backbone of the industry well and attract more to the industry. And mm-hmm. I, uh, I co-founded this and I'm the, currently the CEO. And what are your current day-to-day duties and responsibilities look like? Day-to-day duties, yeah. They, they certainly like shift and ebb and flow depending on the, the needs. Um, so 
right now, uh, I would say my duties are a lot more sales and growth focused. Mm -hmm. um, I've been leading those initiatives um, and I'm also onboarding our first account executive mm -hmm. who's uh, going to be taking over what I hope to be like the lion's share of the sales burden uh, going forward. Um, and then also a lot of time on team alignment, you know, around the vision and, you know, what we're building, where we're heading and, and really try to help the product and engineering team make sure they're prioritizing the right things mm -hmm. you know, to deliver value to our clients. Um, and then there's always hiring you got to mm -hmm. do, you know, you're always kind of selling the company and trying to attract more great people to the team. And then pretty soon we'll be fundraising again. So that'll take up a, a big chunk of my time as well. You know, mm -hmm. trying to get those aligned investors mm -hmm. um, that can add value and give us the fuel we need to grow. And are you the one who is creating those decks when you're presenting to potential investors and explaining what Caribou is doing, why it, this is a smart investment for them? Are you kind of the face of Caribou out there with potential investors? I guess. Yeah. Um, that, that is me. And I'd say Christian, my co-founder is, is more like the face to the operations of like home care companies and more the front line. Uh, mm -hmm. he's our COO. And then I more, uh, interact with like, yeah, the VC companies or the, like, like the senior leaders or board members of like the home care companies we work with. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a really good, uh, kind of divide and conquer we have going on. Yeah, that's a nice balance. Can you tell me more about how you and Christian came up with this idea and how you took it from an idea to a full-blown company, but three years later? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I guess I, I always, well, from as long as I can remember, wanted to start a business. Mm -hmm. And I always just loved problem solving, whether that was helping my sister work through a problem at school or in relationships or, you know, anything under the sun. My dad worked in immigration. So sometimes we would talk about like Canadian immigration policy and, you know, how do we solve these big challenges? It just was something that really energized me. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what form that would take. You know, yeah. I just thought you got to keep your heart and mind open, you know, to different opportunities. Uh, my first job out of school was in investment banking. Mm -hmm. And the first deal I ever worked on was the sale of one of Canada's biggest home care companies. Wow. And so I got to really look under the hood at how these businesses work. And I just fell in love with the industry. There was like no shortage of problems. And this was 10 years ago, you could already see the talent shortage was really preventing home care companies from growing. Um, but worse than that, you kind of see how that shortage impacts families, right? They don't have the support they need. So families are distressed. You know, they're balancing caregiving and work and being a parent. Mm -hmm. uh, patients don't get the help they need. So they end up in hospital, their health deteriorates, and they feel like a burden yeah. to their families. And, uh, and then that puts strain on the system. You know, mm -hmm. people end up in hospital when they shouldn't and health outcomes deteriorate, all that good stuff. So I really wanted to focus on that problem area in particular. Mm -hmm. And I just found myself staying up all night, you know, thinking about it. And it was really hard to focus at work because yeah. I was just like always trying to think about how we can solve this. And it was 2016. I decided to quit full time to uh, go down this path. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, we can talk more about that later. But um Christian uh, was a great friend from university. We actually kind of bonded through basketball. We played on mm -hmm. the same uh, like intramural 
team. And he was just such an amazing teammate and point guard and facilitator and just like a great yeah. like player coach mm-hmm. on the team. And and he, he just happened to be like wicked smart. Like he was the uh, valedictorian of his year that he was a year younger than me. And I kind of had earmarked him as like, oh, that's someone I'd want to work with down the road. Mm-hmm. And he actually grew up living with his Nona, who was his grandmother. And so he always had home care coming in and out of the house. So as I was kind of going down this path and I'd quit my job, you know, we kind of started talking more. And uh, eventually what happened was I had like a sudden scary health thing. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, I, I, I lost my vision and, mm-hmm. you know, you go through all the tests and stuff and it turns out I had uh, multiple sclerosis. Yeah. And so it really, it, it'd be more rare to like start a company with like two business co-founders. Normally you'd have like a more technical co-founder mm-hmm. and a business co-founder, but it really seemed like the golden opportunity to, to bring Christian on as a, like a late stage co-founder. Mm-hmm. And so he sold his house, came all in and wow. really saved the day. And, uh, and I, I, we really, we would not be here if it wasn't for that huge gesture he did. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm all forever grateful for that. And yeah, we've just kind of been focused on this caregiver shortage problem ever since. Mm-hmm. When you had the idea to start something in the home care industry that would address the home care shortage and you felt passion towards the industry and helping people there, how did you actually go about coming up with the idea for the software platform that you have? And why didn't you open a home care agency? <laughs> That's a good question. And <laughs> like, as you know, like, uh, one of the big things with startups is they pivot a lot, mm-hmm. you know, and I think one of the biggest measures of success is like, how fast can you pivot, learn, mm-hmm. you know, and, and change direction as you look for a product market fit, which is basically like, can I come with something that actually adds value and, and people will, you know, hopefully pay for it. And when we first started, the main driver of turnover in home care was schedule instability for care workers. And so as you can imagine, mm-hmm. right, these are home care workers, they're going into patients' homes and demand is very variable. Patients come and go all the time, they get hospitalized, they cancel, yeah. they move to long-term care, maybe they pass away. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, caregivers lose a big chunk of hours and it yeah. can take time for their schedule to build back up. So it's kind of like this house of cards that's constantly getting built up and falling. Mm-hmm. So as a result, um, the average caregiver who wanted a 40-hour week was only getting 25 hours paid. Oh, wow. And so as you can imagine, if you've you got a volatile schedule, not enough hours, it's hard to earn enough to make ends meet, pay yeah. the bills. And that was a big problem. And 40% of caregivers were living b- below the poverty line. Mm-hmm. And that was a big driver. So the irony was, was that families needed more help. And there was actually wait lists for home care. So it's like, it doesn't make sense. Why do caregivers want more work? Families want more help. There must be a way to bridge that gap. Yeah. So Caribou's initial focus was on basically turning that idle capacity that home care agencies had into like on-demand care. Mm-hmm. So like a waitlisted family could book a one-off visit later today because somebody was free. And it really created this win-win-win scenario where caregivers got more work, mm-hmm. agencies earned more revenue off their idle resources, and then families got more help mm-hmm. when they needed it. Uh, we had validated this. We had some good results. Happy to share more uh, if you want to get in the weeds. Um, but then when we were starting to scale up, that's when COVID hit. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you can imagine families don't want like an unfamiliar caregiver coming in their house. Yeah. We realized how tough this would be to scale because we've got to align agencies, caregivers, families to kind of scale this three-sided marketplace. Mm-hmm. And no one wants to adopt a new care model when you're trying to navigate a pandemic. And so we really ran in place for a while. Mm-hmm. But we still, the good news was COVID shined this huge bright light on the caregiver shortage. And all of a sudden you'd see front page news of New York Times, like we're in a staffing crisis in home care. And so the problem got more severe that we were focused on and we were well positioned to just keep learning and pivoting. And we saw that the main driver of turnover shifted to caregivers feeling underpaid and Mm underappreciated. You know, they they were able to get whatever hours they needed uh, during the pandemic because, you know, people desperately needed care. They were like, coming out of facilities and going home and mm-hmm. the facilities were in outbreak. So home care really needed capacity. And also caregivers were often un- uncomfortable to go to work. Yeah. So whoever was left really needed to be treated like the heroes they were, mm-hmm. but it was hard for home care companies to do that. So yeah. that's how we got on this rewards recognition train because yeah. we recognized every home care company wanted to pay their staff more, wanted to recognize them. There mm-hmm. just wasn't a ton of money to go around or resources to do that. Yeah. So that's how the technology can help. Yeah. And you came onto the market at such a good time. I know when we talk with folks that are in this space, they're so excited about one, being able to offer a caregiver incentive program. And then two, that it's not going to take many manual hours every week in order to implement it. So I mean, between the product market fit and the technology that you've built, you have such a home run. Can you tell me more about once you had the idea, you knew it was good, you knew there was demand for it. How do you go about raising money to then hire developers to build this thing for you? Yeah, absolutely. So we were lucky in that, you know, we had like between Christian and I, we we had a pretty good network of folks mm-hmm. that we knew either through past careers or school or anything like that, that had, you know, some connection to the VC or investor community. Yeah. And so um, we felt like we had a pretty good story where there was like a clear market need. Yeah. Our solution was clearly working and people would pay for it. And we were able to grow really efficiently with no sales or marketing resources. You know, really companies like HHA Exchange, yeah. who are great partners, um, and, you know, Aliacare and, and whomever, uh, you know, would really help fuel our growth and fuel, fuel mm-hmm. our business. So it's a good scenario uh, for uh, where investors like to put capital in, because then clearly if you had more resources to grow, you know, the, the economics work. Uh, The other factor that came to play was, you know, as the markets were getting a little bit more rocky, Mm -hmm. uh, we found that investors were looking for more like anti-cyclical companies that had, um, you know, less exposure to like market booms and busts. Mm -hmm. And home care is a great example. Most of the revenue is backed by government funding sources like Medicaid. So even in a down market, these home care companies, you know, still have stable revenue. They're the ones who pay us. Um, so that was kind of a good, good story for caribou. So it was really just about trying to meet, uh, as many folks as we could mm-hmm. see who was interested and then, uh, and also aligned from like a, a vision and value standpoint. Um, and then we felt like, you know, it went pretty smoothly to bring on good aligned capital to the team. 
did you have to turn away investors at any point because you didn't feel that they were aligned with what you were looking to do? Um, you know what? That never came up from like a, a value alignment, but maybe from just like a, in terms of like maybe where their expertise was, mm-hmm. you know, because we were fortunate to be oversubscribed. So we had kind of more interest than we needed and yeah. you know, we didn't want to dilute too much when we, we didn't need that much capital to hit our mm-hmm. upcoming milestones um so allowed us to be a bit more selective and think of like who are the right partners to get us to the next phase and you know help us realize our long-term mission yeah so it was you and christian at first who were the next hires that you were prioritizing or the next teams that you were looking to build internally yeah so clearly uh Christian and I do not have the technical expertise <laughs> that is needed to run a technology company. Um, so we really needed uh, to fill that gap mm-hmm. with uh, some true builders. And so uh, those uh, folks that filled that role were Tim and Thomas, who just happened to be some of our best friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, Christian and Thomas also met through basketball, I think, in elementary school. Mm-hmm. And Tim and I met through the senior care tech space. He had built and sold a senior care technology business. And uh, we met through a a mutual friend named Samir, who was his Mm co-founder. And the timing worked perfectly where they sold their company. He took some time to just like recharge, which is needed after a a sprint like that. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, he was just interested in doing it again in our problem area. We knew we loved each other. So mm-hmm. we thought the the right ingredients were there. And so, you know, the four of us just kind of went forward from there and, and started building. Yeah. How do you come up with milestones or goals? Do you have like annual revenue goals that you're looking to hit or um, specific hiring goals that you develop along the way? And how often are you checking in on these success metrics? Because coming up with success metrics for a brand new organization is a big undertaking. It's a big undertaking for an existing one. (laughs) Yeah. And I'd say that's something we're really trying to mature in now. Mm -hmm. You know, now that we have a lot of external stakeholders that we have to be accountable to yeah, and really add structure to the organization. Because I think when you're first starting, one of your main advantages, advantages is your nimbleness. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not tied to these long year, multi-year targets and yeah. you can adapt as the market change happens and you can move faster than a legacy incumbent. Yeah. Um, yeah. But now like our, our goals are much more growth and efficient growth and Mm -hmm. defensibility and stuff like that, which does require clear goals, you know, dividing ownership, that kind of thing. So we're getting a lot of help right now, um, setting that and establishing the processes, but it really stems from having like our, our top one or two headlines that are typically like kind of revenue, uh, focused and then breaking that down into like the different divisions of like, you know, what features or integrations does the product engineering team need to unlock to yeah. make that growth happen? And uh, like, what what does the sales marketing side need to do? How does CS need to be equipped to make sure that all these customers are actually getting the value that we're promising mm-hmm. and will renew with us? Um, and uh, And what we need to do a much better job of is just like breaking that down as much as we can and having a clear single owner. Because mm-hmm. I think like, one of our strengths as a team is we're very collaborative. 
Yeah. But it's kind of getting to the point where it's to a fault and we kind of need to trust each other to just like make decisions, run with things mm-hmm. and maybe like check in weekly yeah. on things and unblock as needed. Because I do find we often have like too many people on one meeting. And <laughs> I know I, I do worry like about burnout because I think that's the biggest yeah. risk for our team while we're at this kind of growth spurt phase. Mm -hmm. Especially when you do have so much camaraderie and everybody is so excited about what they're doing. They want to give 110%, but that's clearly not sustainable. Exactly. And that's the big unifier for our team. You know, Mm -hmm. we have like 20 very talented folks, but they're all very mission oriented and want to make an impact. And similar to the caregivers in COVID who, you know, worked themselves to exhaustion because they didn't want to see their clients go without care during a pandemic when often the caregiver was the only person who would see them yeah you know i kind of noticed those patterns with our team as well Mm -hmm. um so yeah something we're actively trying to solve for through hiring structure organization all that Mm -hmm. good stuff so what phase or mode are you in right now is it where you have the software you feel really solid about it and you're just in hyper growth bring on more clients mode or Tell me more about just how you think about your growth or your stage in the company's development. Yeah, I'd say that accurately describes the phase right now. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're kind of, you know, hanging on, hiring, maintaining our culture. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'd say focus less on building kind of new shiny things Mm -hmm. and more just like making sure everything we have is robust, stable, and can deliver that sustained value because, you know, the value story makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think right now it's more of like, all right, how do we get that in more hands faster? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's the phase we're at now. Can you tell me something that you're super excited about for Caribou, whether it's a milestone or a goal or a new part of the product or a new potential client that you're looking to reach within the next 12 months? Yeah. um, What I find is an opportunity for us is to really expand the size of the caregiver workforce, mm-hmm. right? And right now what we do is like, yes, we help recognize them. We help reward them. We help agencies recruit caregivers. Yeah. But there is an element of that's like shifting people amongst different employers. Yeah. You know, so you're kind of slicing up the pie as opposed to like expanding it. Yeah. And so we have some kind of interesting strategies that we want to realize next year that is really focused on attracting net new people to the industry. Um, That's going to require a lot of investment, but Mm -hmm. it's one that excites us because it helps solve a lot of problems for, you know, agencies, growth, families getting the help they need, keeping people out of hospital uh, because home care is really where it's at, you know, and where the growth is needed. Yeah. So you're really looking to disrupt the caregiver market. Yes. um, But through the lens of continuing to enhance the existing home care agencies and Mm -hmm. kind of be the 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 oil for them Mm -hmm. and just help them operate better. And I think where we're going to help is we're going to help them really compete to be the best employers in Mm -hmm. the communities they serve, not just amongst home care agencies, but amongst like all other types of professions. Yeah. You know, we want home care to be a really sought after career. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
it's got a lot going for it. You know, you can't really automate giving a bath or, you know, do that with AI. So as yeah. other careers start to get impacted by AI, caregiving becomes more attractive. Yeah. And also not many careers provide the same level of purpose and meaning that mm -hmm. home care does. And that's what I think people really crave in this modern world. Yeah. And you become like family with your clients and mm -hmm. like friends. And, you know, that's a really kind of nice purpose-driven environment to work in. Yeah, that is such a good selling point because caregivers, as an agency, you are competing against other potentially minimum wage employers like Amazon or uh, other retail chains or restaurant chains. And it may be the easier option to go to Amazon right now, but you don't have that personal connection like you would as a caregiver and that added level of meaning in your life and that purpose where you do see your hands-on work impacts people and their families so directly. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, in my view, caregiving is such a more, like, I'm going to say important and challenging job than mm -hmm. like retail. Yeah. Let's be honest. Right. Mm -hmm. But the pay delta is minuscule. Yeah. Which is just sad to me. And, and mm -hmm. like in New York, for example, it used to be higher. There was all of this advocacy to increase the minimum wage for caregivers, which was great. But then minimum wage for the whole state went up which then shrank that delta. Mm -hmm. I'm not against minimum wage increases. I think that's great. Yeah. But there should still remain that premium to mm -hmm. be a caregiver. So it's a much more competitive kind of prestigious job to strive for. Yeah. Uh, so that you're paid fairly for the added difficulty and also the, the schedule instability it brings. Yeah. Agreed. And I'm super excited to work with you on helping to grow Caribou and better support agencies and their workers. I'm curious, you said that you were in investment bank banking, which is very different from what you're doing currently. How did you get into investment banking after college? And was that something that you had thought about always being a part of? Not really. Um, <laughs> I guess... Um, I, I did gravitate towards like business and entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. I would say. Um, and so I went to business school as an undergrad. Mm -hmm. And while I was there, there was really only four main paths that people went. It was like accounting, marketing, consulting, or investment banking. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of felt like I only had four choices. Yeah. Um, and I guess I wanted to try to learn as much as I could I wanted to try to make some good money so I could mm. like pay off some student debt and like create that capital to one day start a business. Yeah. And so investment banking just kind of made made sense from those perspectives. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, kind of just happened into it. But it worked out. I made some great relationships, uh, learned a lot. I met my wife there, mm. uh, worked on senior care deals. And those friendships that I made in my group, I think like, 80% of my group was part of our first initial seed round at Caribou. Oh, wow. And so, uh, you know, was super grateful to get their support yeah. on the entrepreneurship side as well. So it all worked out. Yeah. Tell me more about what you were actually doing when you were working in investment banking. Yeah. So, you know, when you start, you know, like most careers, you're doing the most junior stuff. Like it's whatever your boss needs to mm -hmm. like, you know, whatever ball you got to push, you just push it. Don't ask mm -hmm. too many questions. So, uh, they tend to start you off with like 
easy, but a little bit more mundane things um, like, you know, just kind of building slides, doing industry research, doing like different benchmarking analysis. Some of it was a bit tedious, like data entry type of things. And then gradually you get more into like the financial modeling and valuing mm-hmm. businesses. They kind of keep giving you harder and harder stuff and, you know, kind of as much rope as you can handle. Yeah. And are you using those skills that you learned and practice in investment banking now when, especially as you're raising funds? I'd say, yeah, like um, it was so helpful just to learn about how these big companies make decisions. Mm -hmm. You know, like you get, even though you're the most junior person taking notes or building (laughs) materials in the background, you still might get to sit at the side of the room when the board is deliberating over yeah. like the acquisition of a big company. And so you get to hear how they think about how it would impact growth, costs, risks, yeah. that kind of thing. And so I think that naturally helped on the entrepreneurship side of like trying to find something that will deliver value to them and be able to kind of come up with a business model and story that's going to like just make it like a no-brainer decision for them to adopt. Yeah. So I think that's helped our product decisions as well as kind of been some indirect training in sales because mm-hmm. uh, I had no sales background but kind of had to take over that role. Yeah. Did you learn anything surprising or take on any tips that you just weren't expecting when you were in those rooms earlier on and hearing how these large businesses make decisions? Yeah. Um, I'd say the... The interesting thing that you have to kind of like you notice is like people generally have really good intentions, Mm -hmm. you know, and they they do want to do what's right. But they're also playing within like their sandbox of incentives Mm -hmm. and and that kind of thing. So. The HR leader has their goals. The operations yeah. leader has their goals, you know, and sometimes they can be competing mm-hmm. goals as well. And so I think kind of realizing that and being able to build a bit of empathy for it yeah. has kind of helped to fine tune the solution and how we communicate it mm-hmm. so that we can kind of bridge the gap and almost be like a therapist for these internal <laughs> organizations and align them to decisions. Yeah. Um, so that's been helpful. Uh, there's also a learning on the negative side that I think kind of like was something I had to get over and I'm still working on, but um, investment banking kind of teaches you to be too much of a perfectionist, mm-hmm. you know, and every little detail has to be right. Every, you know, if you, God forbid, you have a spelling error or that logo is not aligned or Mm -hmm. your number is like 2% off, Mm -hmm. uh, that can have big consequences and you get reamed out. And it's a bit counter to the entrepreneurship mindset you need of like, how do I make mistakes as fast as possible, learn from them and keep falling forward? Mm -hmm. You know, I think I had this deeply ingrained anxiety about making mistakes that took some time to get over. And admittedly, yeah, it's, it's still not fully worked out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is true. That's one thing that I've struggled with too, where my first inclination is to do things as perfect as possible, but it can hinder your ability to move forward. And yeah, if you're going to get to where you want to be, if your goals are aggressive, you need to get comfortable with failing and failing as quickly as you possibly can. Certainly. Well, you've accomplished a lot in your career. I have one last question. 
Is there anything that you wish you learned earlier on, especially as you have built your own business? I'm sure you had to learn a lot on the fly. Is there something that you wish you had picked up earlier on? Definitely. Um, I would say I've been guilty of being a little bit too reactive Mm -hmm. to things. And I, I think it's, really important to, you know, while you're so zoomed in and just trying to keep up with requests and, um, you know, anything you need just to kind of hit that next milestone, like make sure you allocate a good percentage of your time to those proactive things like, you know, fostering your network with hires that you may need to make down the road, you know, so that you have kind of like a pool of people that you'd be excited about and are hopefully excited about, you know, your business and mission as well. Yeah. Uh, Cause I really underestimated how uh, much work it takes to build that aligned team mm-hmm. and, you know, not sacrifice anything on, on culture and that. And so that's not just for talent. That's also for investors and all of that things, so, you know, you don't want to be going out to the market, you know, right after you need, you know, the, the person or the investor, like you should yeah. have like some really great folks in mind already. And so that's something I'm trying to uh, improve as we yeah. go forward. And we certainly haven't sacrificed on the talent or culture. Uh, we've just had to, it's been a little bit slower mm-hmm. to grow in that way uh, because we've been so picky. Yeah. And uh, that then risks burning out our existing team who are kind of picking up the slack because the growth doesn't stop. Yeah. How do you go go about growing your network? Are you like cold outreaching people or are you just having as many conversations as you can and making loose connections and asking to be connected with other folks and people's network? A bit of the cold outreach, but more the okay. former. I mean, mm-hmm. sorry, more the more the latter. Um, mm-hmm. It's definitely uh, I find like just getting more comfortable with putting yourself out there and not being afraid to ask. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, hey. I'm so impressed by you. Who else do you know? Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like part of Caribou's functionality is helping home care companies to create staff referrals. Mm-hmm. Like we've got to practice what we preach, yeah. you know, and, and, and be doing the same thing. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really about trying to like set a cadence of like, all right, I got to make five outreaches a week mm-hmm. and let's strive to not leave one positive meeting without asking them if they, know anybody else Mm -hmm. in any of these different fields yeah that's good for sales too even if somebody doesn't purchase from you right now you can always ask at the end of a good conversation is there anybody else in your network that you think this would be beneficial to and you can find sales that way even if you're not selling directly to the person you're talking to exactly because like yeah even if it's not right for now i think Mm -hmm. people can sense if your intentions are good and Mm -hmm. you know so they would be more than willing to to help out yeah and helping you now could help them later on. So yeah, there's definitely incentive to create connections. Well, thank you so much for being on, Alex. This was such a good conversation. Thank you, Courtney. We'll see you tomorrow. (laughs) Go to unchartedcareers.com if you're interested in one-on-one career coaching or are looking to learn more about uncharted careers and my coaching approach. Thanks for listening.